pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, we do give You thanks that from You all blessings flow, including the blessing of being able to open Your Word and read it and understand it and seek to apply it to our lives by the power of Your Spirit. And so we give You thanks and praise that we have had the blinders removed from our eyes, we have had our ears unstopped, and now we're able to come to You in faith. And we ask that you would send your spirit to be our great teacher today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our scripture lesson today is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. You'll find that on page 977 and 978 of the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The second half of the book of Ephesians, Paul begins to outline instructions for the church. He has talked about the glories of the gospel and Jesus Christ, and now he is wanting to explain, well, how is the church to live in light of this glorious gospel? So he writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but, uh, but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When I was in high school, I had varied interests. I was interested in sports. In terms of schooling, I was interested in science. That was the subject that I had the most affinity for. In fact, I wanted to go on to college, get an engineering degree, and then possibly become a pilot in the military, and if my hopes and dreams reached their climax, I would become an astronaut. Yes, from the time I was a child, I wanted to be an astronaut. So, when I was in uh, high school, my senior year, I signed up to go to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama. Yes, I'm a nerd, I know it. You put me in front of the Discovery Channel, I'll watch anything because I love to see how things work. But I went to space camp for a week when I was a senior in high school. 
And towards the end of the week, after training us in a number of different things, they sort of sent us on a mission. And they put us in a simulator together and they gave us a mission plan and we were to fulfill that plan. But along the way, they would throw certain anomalies into the mix, things that weren't supposed to be that way. And because of that, what would end up happening is people would begin to argue. Well, no, we, we've got to do it this way. We've got to handle it that way. And somebody had to come along and say, now, wait a minute. If we're going to get where we're going, we've got to work together. And in effect, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. If we, as the church of Jesus Christ, is going to get where we are going, we've actually got to work together. Think of the Ephesians who are facing all the opposition from the culture around them. When everybody gathered together, probably tens of thousands of people in Ephesus, to riot against the Christian faith, the Ephesians knew we are outnumbered. The opposition is against us. And Satan would like nothing less to throw some anomalies along our way. So that what ends up happening is we become divided and don't actually reach the place to which God intends us. So where are we going? Paul says it very clearly in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. What God is saying here is that God wants unity in His church for the sake of maturity among His people. That's what God wants from us. Paul has been talking about the immeasurable power of God that is at work in us. He's been talking about how Jesus is binding all things together under His rule. He's been talking about how He's creating this new society of people. People drawn from every culture, every tribe, every tongue. And He's putting them all together. And through them, He's working His power. This immeasurable power. And what he wants to say is that this power is at work as we are unified together as the people of God. This power is at work in us when we are unified as the people of God. And so the way to get to where we are going to attain the maturity that Jesus has for us is to live here now as if we are unified together in Christ. That's what Paul urges them. Verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Here's Paul. He's run his race. He's been faithful. He sought the blessings of the church. And now he says, I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And what's the calling? The calling is to know how to live together in this new community, the church of Jesus Christ, as the people of God, unified, loving one another, caring for each other's needs, using our gifts to serve the body. That's what Jesus wants from us. And in doing that, the church becomes that kind of community that Paul has already been talking about that transforms cultures, communities, families, sports, entertainment, recreation, the job place, the marketplace. Because we're growing mature in Jesus. And when we scatter, 
we have a sanctifying presence in the world. And so to walk in a worthy manner is to live a lifestyle that's fitting for membership in this community. Now over the next three chapters, Paul's going to outline what it looks like to live in this new community. And what he says here in chapter 4 is that first of all, it requires unity. So what are the qualities of Christian unity? First is this. It requires an attitude of charity towards others. Charity towards others. You can develop unity in different organizations in different ways. You can have a common set of rules. Everybody can dress the same way. We can use the same lingo, the language to refer to things. Things can unite us. But what Paul is talking about here is a particular attitude that we have towards one another. You can create all the structures you want of unity, but if there's not the right attitude of mind and heart towards one another, then there is no real sense of unity. And Paul speaks of this unity that only the Spirit can create. He says here in verse 3, that we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's unity that comes from the Spirit. It's unity that the Spirit creates because only the Spirit can give us the kind of attitude that we need of charity towards one another so that we actually are unified and seek to bless each other. And there's two things that the Spirit does. One, He creates Christ-like character. Paul tells us this in verse 2. This calling that we're to pursue, we're to do it with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility. Literally, it's a lowliness of mind that I'm not to think more highly of myself than I ought, but rather think of myself as being lower than everyone else. It's the very antithesis of pride. It puts me beneath everyone. A sense of lowliness about me. Not only that, but he talks about gentleness or some translations, meekness. Now this isn't a matter of personality. Some people are very aggressive in their personalities. Other people are more bashful. But you can have an aggressive person who's also soft around the edges and doesn't promote their own personal agenda. And you can also have a bashful person who works behind the scenes, who manipulates people, who seeks to get their way. That's not gentleness. It's not meekness. This is not a matter of personality. It's a matter of Christ-like gentleness being poured into us so that we may be strong in our backbone but soft on the exterior in the way that we handle people and in the way in which we promote things. Patience, he says. Patience with one another. And he describes a little bit of what that looks like. Bearing with one another in love. There are prickly people. There are difficult people. People who have habits that annoy us. People who aren't as sophisticated as we are. People who don't know their theology like we know it. Paul says patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, these are all challenging quality traits for each one of us. And they're not things that church leaders can force upon God's people. No one can actually create them, but only the Spirit can be the one to create them. He is to reproduce the qualities of Jesus in us. 
Jesus is the one who is lowly enough to come from glory and be born in a stable and humble Himself to take on our sins. He is the one who is gentle and meek so that when we feel tender because the world has beaten us up, it's Jesus that very softly and gently embraces us. It's Jesus who is patient with us when we are not getting it the way the disciples didn't get it in the Gospels. But rather, He bears with us in love. And it's only when this attitude of charity that expresses itself in this lowliness of attitude and patience where unity begins to thrive among the people of God. Because lowliness of mind makes me respect other people. It makes me look upon them and respect them for who they are, for who God has created them to be. And to say, you are valuable to me. Your well-being is important to me. In fact, it's more important to me than my own well-being is to me. So that we look at one another and we say, you're priceless. Now, if that kind of attitude takes root in a church, anyone who comes into that particular fellowship says, I feel like I have a place to belong. People value me here. I'm wanted here. And isn't that the very attitude that Jesus has towards us? You are priceless to me. So much I'm willing to give my whole life for you. And so when we have that lowliness of mind, it creates unity among the body. Also patience. As we learn to calibrate our expectations for one another. Not everybody serves the way I serve or the way you serve. Not everybody is at the church the same amount of hours a week that you're at the church. Not everybody witnesses to their neighbor in the same way or the same amount that you witness. Not everybody studies their Bible in the same way or the amount that you study your Bible. But when we're patient with one another, then what ends up taking place is we begin to have a love for one another so that we recognize people are not on my timetable. They're on God's timetable. I'm not to take the place of the Holy Spirit. I'm not to be the one who is to pronounce judgment on a particular person because they're not growing the way I'm growing. What ends up taking place is there's this underlying attitude of patience that begins to make room for all types of people so that everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord is welcome. And so the Spirit creates Christ-like character, but He also creates a desire for unity. We're told in verse 3 that we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Those who are true believers and who begin to experience this kind of unity long for this bond of peace, want it so much that we are eager to maintain it. That means it takes work and effort because it's so easily destroyed by pride, by jealousy, by bitterness, lack of understanding and sympathy towards other people, and unwillingness to forgive. But eagerness to maintain what the Spirit seeks to produce means seeking to submit ourselves to the leading of the Spirit, so that we come under His control, so that pride and forcefulness and impatience 
are things that do not get a foothold. If you find yourself hostile toward others in the church, if you find yourself apathetic towards other people in the church, so that maybe you show up on Sunday mornings, but that's all that you want to give to the rest of the church. What God wants and what Paul is talking about here is that we submit ourselves to this spirit who can produce this bond of peace. And it may just mean that what the spirit wants you to do is to go further down the road of lowliness. To go further down the road of being gentle. To go further down the road of being patient, bearing with others in love. And so the question for us may just be, have I yet gone to the point where I'm as lowly as Jesus? Have I yet gone to the point where I'm as gentle as Jesus? Have I yet gone to the point where I'm as patient with Jesus or as Jesus is with me? When we begin to understand what all He's done for us and just what unity He desires for the church, then we want to show that same character towards others. Well, secondly, not only are we to have these attitudes, but also that unity springs from oneness in Christ. Here in verses 5 and 6, Paul uses the word one seven times over. Seven times over to drive home the point that it ought to be one body. Here's what he says. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We have one Savior. We have the same mark or symbol of our salvation and baptism. We have one God and Father of all. We have one Spirit that is at work in each one of us. There is one faith that we profess. And there is one body. And all these things belong to Jesus. And we are bound together in Christ. We have been called out of our individuality, out of our separateness, so that Jesus can bind us together in Himself for all of eternity. And if the church is divided, what it declares to the world is that God is divided. But what Paul says is there's one Lord Jesus, there's one Spirit, and there's one God and Father of us all. And there ought to be one church bound together in unity. Think of the analogy of how Paul uses marriage to speak of our faith in Jesus, of the relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. And Jesus says what God has joined together, not man separate. And what we ought to say is, if God has so joined me to the church, I ought not separate from the people of God. Because that's His purpose for me. That I would be together with them. And what we need is a unity in something beyond what the world can offer. Because unity in anything that is not eternal, unity in anything other than Jesus, will not weather the storms of life. You know how quickly and easily it can happen. Maybe even with the closest of friend, a word is said, and yet there's misunderstanding about it. Maybe hurt feelings. You begin to talk about that with other people. People take sides. 
And away we go. Unity has to be in something larger than ourselves. And what Christian unity is, is unity in Jesus, the Lord of glory. And that's what we need. And so when unity is strained, we look at one another and we say, I see Jesus in them. Jesus prizes them. Jesus died for them. Jesus loves them with an eternal love. And I'm to do the same. I'm to love them with an eternal love that will last forever and ever. And so our unity is in Christ together, and we need to have that fixed in our mind. Thirdly, unity demands the exercise of diverse gifts. Paul talks about the oneness of the body and of the Lord, and then in verse 7 he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. God has given gifts through Christ to His church. And what He has done is given gifts, and He's talking about particular spiritual gifts here, so that every member is able to serve effectively in the kingdom of God. And Paul here quotes from uh, Psalm 68 in verse 8 here. He says, Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. Paul quotes Psalm 68 because it's a triumphal song of how God triumphs over all of His enemies. And when He comes to Mount Zion, there is this train of enemies behind Him that He has conquered. And what He ends up doing is actually giving gifts to His people so that they can serve well in His newly established kingdom. And Paul here is referring to Pentecost when Jesus, the exalted Lord, now comes down and pours out spiritual gifts on His people so that they are able to serve in His church and in His kingdom. And so Christ is sharing of Himself these gifts. But what does that mean? It means, first of all, that everyone, everyone who belongs to Jesus has a gift or gifts to use. Look at what He goes on to specify here in verse 11. He gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body. So here Paul is outlining that what Jesus has done is given to the church apostles, and He's given prophets, and He's given evangelists. And he's also given pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, because every saint has a gift for ministry. And so it's the responsibility of every pastor teacher. That's a shepherd. That's every elder in the church of Jesus Christ. God has given to every elder in the church of Jesus Christ the responsibility of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now that's a point of application for every elder who's present here today. One of the things that you're doing in your shepherding ministry is seeking to equip everyone under your care to use the Scriptures and to use their gifts to serve God effectively in the church and in His kingdom. And for all of us, we need to have this firm conviction set in our mind that the mature believer is the believer who labors in the vineyard of the Lord. The mature believer is the one who takes responsibility in the kingdom of God. Not merely a consumer of what the church has to offer, but one who takes what the church offers to him 
or to her and uses it for the sake of building up the body, for the sake of building the kingdom. What we're talking about here is a shared ministry. No one person, no five people, no eight people, no ten people can do all the work of the church. Do all the praying, do all the diaconal ministry, do all the preaching, do all the Bible studies, teach all the Sunday schools to children and adults, serve in the kitchen, care for the needs of those who are poor in the community, take care of our own widows. Those are just a few things. And it takes everybody to do them all. And God, through Christ, has equipped His church for this particular reality. And so there needs to be a, an every member is a minister mentality. Every member is a minister. Maybe not an ordained minister, but you're a minister, a servant. A, one who takes what God has given to you and takes it out into the world and uses it for the sake of the glory of Jesus. And as we think about our own ministry here at Reformation, it will always be limited by the commitment level of every individual Christian who is a member of this church. It will always be limited by the commitment level of every individual member. But it can also soar high. Higher maybe than what we can ask or think, if you recall last week's sermon, as we looked at the power of God at work through us. What could God possibly do through us if every member is using every gift through all of their energies to serve the church and to serve the kingdom of God? You see, when that happens, there's a sense of ownership of the ministry. This is my ministry. And this is your ministry. And it's Jesus' ministry. And together we own it. Jesus shares it with us and we share it with one another. And when we labor side by side, what ends up taking place is we become more and more unified because, well, that person's seeking the same goal I am. They're using all their gifts too and we want to go to the same place. So that when we use our gifts, we become more and more unified in the church. And look where it takes us, as we already said in verse 13 until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And so every member has gifts, but also our gifts differ in kind and in degree. That's one of the things that's evident from verse 11. There are various gifts that are given to the people that are mentioned here. And what we are told in verse 7 is that Jesus gives gifts according to the measure of His gift. In other words, Jesus measures them out in ways that are pleasing to Him. And not everybody has the same gift. And not everybody has the same degree of gift. Some people are gifted at preaching and teaching, but not every preacher and teacher has the same quality of the gift. Some people are gifted in evangelism, but not every person who's gifted in evangelism has the same degree or quality of that gift of evangelism. And we need to recognize that about ourselves and that this is Jesus' work. He's the one who measures it out. We're not to determine it for ourselves. As one uh, writer says, the purpose of the varied gifts is that Jesus is sharing more of Himself than any one person can contain. Jesus is sharing more of Himself than any one person can contain. 
And we need to prize that reality. That there are differing gifts and differing degrees. And it guards us against a few things. First, from actually denying, denying the presence of spiritual gifts in us. We may not think much of ourselves. We may not think much of our ability to serve Jesus. But Jesus says, you have a gift. And friends, ignorance of that gift is not an excuse. I'm not sure what my gift is. Therefore, I won't serve. And until I find out what my gifts are, then I won't actually do anything in the church. But what Jesus wants us to do is to get busy. Get busy laboring and what begins to take place is the people of God recognize, you know what, you're actually pretty good at this. I've noticed the way in which you relate to non-Christians. I've noticed the way in which you're good at planning and administration. I've noticed though how tender you are with people in need. And all of a sudden what begins to take place is our, our light bulb goes on and we realize I have gifts in this area. God is using me. And the church begins to grow and flourish in ways we didn't expect. So it guards us against denying the presence of gifts in our own lives, but also it guards us against despising the spiritual gifts given to others. We often look at other people and sometimes it's the personality that we have a hard time with. For others, it may be just that the spiritual gifts aren't like ours. And we evaluate them based on that. And what Jesus says is, I measure out the gifts. And you need to prize all of them that I give to all of my people. But it also finally guards us against exalting particular spiritual gifts over others. Some, some people exalt certain gifts, the more visible kind of gifts, the upfront types of gifts. But it is true that in the kingdom of God, no gift is lesser important than any other. And yours may be a gift that's done behind the scenes, but God sees. God sees. And He is pleased when you use it. And the church cannot grow effectively without it. And that's something that we need to all have fixed in our minds. The church cannot grow. Cannot grow properly unless I use my gift effectively. And when we learn to treasure all of Christ's gifts, and when we learn to treasure one another for those gifts, then what we end up doing is looking at each other and say, we can't live without you. Our church just won't be the same without you. I don't know that I'm going to grow as effectively without you. And Do you see when we have that kind of attitude towards one another? Unity takes place. And we are bound together like two people running in a race, in a three-legged race, going in the same place. And where are we going? That's the final point here. Is that it leads to maturity of the whole body. Paul says in verse 13 that we're seeking to grow into mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so here is this picture of maturity. 
that looks like stability. We no longer are being tossed to and fro. We're so equipped with the Scriptures that we become mature and steady. We're not thrown about. And our gifts were given for that purpose. So that you could look at the person next to you and say, you need me and I need you. And together, we grow into this maturity in Jesus together. And look how it grows. Verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says, speaking the truth in love. Actually, a better translation would just be truthing in love. There's no word for speaking there. Truthing in love. My actions and my speech. All that I do is in love towards the body. And when that takes place, we grow up into Jesus. But interestingly, not only that, but verse 16 says that we grow down from Jesus because it's in Him that the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Jesus makes the body grow. When we're unified, when we're using our gifts to serve one another, Jesus makes us grow. And we grow, as He says, in love. Friends, we need to long for this kind of maturity. We need to long for it. So that we recognize that each person in this congregation is indispensable to the maturity of the whole body. So that I present myself to you and say, I need you. And you present yourself to others, the rest of the body, and say, I need you. And when we do that, we become what Jesus desires for us, which is we look more like Him. There's a movie a number of years ago that came out called Mr. Holland's Opus. It was a story, true story, about a music teacher. He wanted to be a great composer. That never happened, but he became a high school music teacher instead. And he spent decades in a particular public school teaching high school students music. So that what he worked with was not so much staying off in a corner working on his musical scores, but actually working with high school students of red-headed children and, and uh, awkward children and, and children who are trying to find their calling in life. And after years and years of service to the school system, he found out the budget was going to be cut. And he worked and he labored to try to fight against that, but it was inevitable, and so he decided, well, I'll just go ahead and retire. And one day, towards the end of school, the last year that he was serving, he walked by the auditorium and something was taking place. And he walked into the auditorium filled with people. And they were all there for him. And a girl who was probably one of those pigtail redheads was up front, who was now governor of the state. And she called him up and said, Mr. Holland, you never became the great composer you wanted to be. But we're your opus. You have written your life across us. That's the picture of what Jesus is telling us. 
is that what we are to do is to use our gifts so that we write ourselves and the ministry of Jesus across one another's lives. And in that, the church is unified and we grow together to look like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You've given us so much more in the Gospel than forgiveness. Forgiveness is the entryway into a whole new world, a whole new realm where You're doing great and glorious things. And we look forward to that day when we are perfectly united in glory. But until that day, we pray that You would help us to live as Your people, unified in every way, serving with all of our gifts and with all of our energies as Christ powerfully works within us so that we would grow together to be more like Jesus and end up going the very place where you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.